It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the, the Sports, sports Rush, Rush with Brett Rush. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most interesting, most important person of all time. Tuesday. It is the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. I am Brett Rump, along with Adam Lundy and our special guest in the studio today, Chris Lambert from Christopher James Menswear. And coming up, we've got Zach Osterman joining the show from the Indy Star. He'll talk uh, IU basketball, his thoughts on the couple of ejections that uh, the Hoosiers have faced recently. We know Don Fisher's opinion on it. We talked to Don yesterday. If you miss the 15 minutes with Fish, well worth going back and listening to as he kind of clarifies and puts into context his comments from Friday night that he was embarrassed for this program. Uh, and that was yesterday on the show. You can easily access it by going to our podcast page, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, and search for us by name, Sports Rush with Brett Rump, and you'll find uh, our latest editions. Every uh, day, about an hour after the show, we get our daily show posted. So, you know, sometimes things come up. You end up with a meeting that you weren't supposed to have because you're not allowed to have them during the Sports Rush, and all of a sudden you have one. <laughs> Uh, then what you got to do is you got to come back and listen later. Mm-hmm. And we give you that opportunity because we always post every day show on our podcast page. Uh, so, Chris, uh, I want to get your opinion on this because we talked about it yesterday. Court storming. And we saw it with uh, Caitlin Clark, who took the giant flop. And you know what? We've seen different angles of that. Adam, I sent you a video. And I am sorry, but that was not a collision. Uh, you know, that was a flop and Caitlin Clark gets a flop warning from me <laughs> no, on that. No, 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 she, no. You gotta get those glasses Oh, checked. come on. She, you know, she saw at the last second, saw the fan, put her hands up. The fan kind of ran through her hands and then she just took that the biggest twice spill you've ever seen. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> They've, they darn near killed her. Uh, it, it, it was a flop. It was a little dramatic. It was overly dramatic. Yeah. But here's the whole, here's the whole point is you hear a lot of people (laughs) saying, oh, you got to cut the court storming. There's no sense in it. Here, here's the thing. I think it's a great part of college basketball for the, the connection between that student body, which brings so much energy to college athletics. You need to have those students there. You need to have them engaged. But how about if you win a championship, not a middle season game against... The, the number two, you beat the number two team, and the the process has to. I mean, first of all, it has to be a major upset for you to to storm the court. It has to be a major upset over somebody who is worthy of a very high ranking. So, you know, you can storm the court if you are, 
uh, Mississippi Valley State and you knock off Duke, okay? Storm the court. Or Purdue Fort Wayne knocking all, off IU. All seven fans. Yeah. <laughs> now, now I'm talking about the mass that I was right. talking about Mississippi Valley I know, State. I know. But, uh, yeah, that was fun. Now, that was actually big. But here's the here's the thing. You always know as a university, if you're hosting an event, when that event is going to be big enough to deserve a court storming if you win. And as the game gets down to the last five, six, seven, eight minutes and it's a close game, then you've got to be prepared to go to your court storming security measures. And uh, what I said yesterday, first of all, you've got to make sure that the team, the visiting team, is escorted out of the arena on their side of the gym, you can't ha- escort a team across the floor. If their locker room's across the floor, you've already made one mistake. Taking them across the floor to exit the arena would be mistake number two. You've yeah. got to find an exit on the same side as the team benches. So when they go through the handshake, handshake line, they can quickly be escorted out of the arena floor. Number two, there has to be the double rope, not a single rope. Don't just give me one rope. Give me a double rope where there's a rope along the handshake line and another rope about two to three feet in where you've got a cushion space. You've got a safety zone where uh, you can't have a fan that could reach over and actually touch an opposing player. How about or, an invisible fence and we give all the... Uh, <laughs> Everybody has to wear a collar. <laughs> to wear a collar when they come and you can just zap them. Students coming to tonight's game will yeah. be required to That's wear right. a collar. That's right. And and heck with them getting on the floor. As soon as they start to cross the line out of the bleachers, they all start going into <laughs> some kind of seizure. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if that would be my recommendation. All right, we won't put you down for that. Yeah, tonight's uh, sponsor of the game is <laughs> Invisible Fence. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, um, but uh, but I mean I think there's a way that if the the team is prepared, the home team has prepared of how they're going to deal with security for their visitors because those are visitors that have come to their place to play. They deserve full security, and so I, I think that's where there's a problem. Why was Caitlin Clark? In all of her flopping form, why was she running across the court (laughs) unsupervised without any type of security detail? She's a superstar. Yeah. Okay. That's that's a good question. They usually have security with coaches, but why didn't she get security? And that's that's on the home team. They've got to be able to provide that. They've got to let the visiting team know what's going on. And so... It it is just tough because, you know, if you've been to... A lot of sporting events, and you've seen some of the ushers and what we have. That you know, they're in a lot of cases are you know a little bit older, and they're, they're gonna have, they'd have a little difficult time holding back people. So I guess you're gonna really need true security <laughs> yeah, then to like at the Coliseum, they're gonna hold up that little sign, that little placard that says stop, and like every all the students are gonna pay attention right, to that right. little sign. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not gonna happen, uh, and that's why you've got to have the measures on the floor of how you get rid of the yeah. people. All right, so let's go ahead. Let's play some Tuesday Time Capsule Trivia. Right now is a chance for one of our listeners to take on Chris today, not me, and you'll get a large pizza to Pizza Hut just for being the correct caller. And that is caller number one at 447-8500. Now, we do need you to call because we don't want Chris to miss this moment. 447-8500, area code 260. Give us a call to play Tuesday Time Capsule Trivia and uh you know chris good luck with this because you know it's 
It's going to test your full realm of sports knowledge. Yeah, well, we that's uh, the, these that's are not, not just uh, gimmies with asking Detroit Lions trivia questions where, where or Detroit he come Tigers up with these questions. What is he? Oh, he's got encyclopedias, an entire <laughs> collection in the other room. The Britannica. <laughs> oh, yeah, got, he got the Britannica. The Britannica sports uh, collection. Yeah, he's uh-huh. he got it. Um, yeah, you don't know World Book, do you? No, I was just encyclopedia. See, I, my, my generation, it was World Book, and then Britannica came along. My generation, we went to the grocery store. You had scrolls. Don't kid yourself. Hey, I'm only one year older, Rob. Come on. Your books ended up in the Dead Sea. All right, we got somebody. <laughs> we got, uh, all right, Adam, uh, I'm glad I'm off next two days, uh, because you would be. Uh, right. Anyway, no, let's let's get to the phone line. Let's play some Tuesday Time Castle Trivia. Who is our contestant today? Who's this? This is Nick. Hey, Nick. How are you? Good. How are you? Uh, have you taken me on? I think you've played me in Tuesday Time Capsule Trivia, haven't you? Yeah, a couple times. And what's your record, Nick? Uh, lost one, and uh, we didn't get one. Okay. Oh, one and one. Oh, one and one. Well, well today's so, your lucky day, Nick. Yeah. You're playing against me. <laughs> yeah. you, you've got a chance to pick up your first victory because uh, yeah. Chris Lambert is going to challenge you here. So if All we're right. ready to go, Adam. It's time for Tuesday Time Capsule Trivia on the Sports Rush. All right, let's do it. Let's get into clue number one here. Now remember, our listener has the choice of answering the clue first. We're going to get into clue number one here. You were right about Australia, Brett. We're going to the Victorian (laughs) Football League. April 28th of this year, Collingwood beats a 70-year-old record for the greatest winning margin in a VFL football game when they beat St. Kilda by a whopping 178 points. I'm going to pass on this one. All right, you're up first, Chris. I'm supposed to confirm or deny that's the answer? Wait, you no, just you, you give us just give us give us a year that you think that might have happened. Oh, that might have happened. Uh, uh well. and, and somewhere I will somewhere between nineteen sixty five and two thousand fifteen. Right? Very very fair. Well, that, was, uh, that was in two thousand. We'll give you like a fifty year range. Yeah, that was two thousand four. Which is about <laughs> which is about the range of the Lions appearances in <laughs> NFC oh, man, I, I am getting conference <laughs> championship game. It's a tough room. <laughs> You, you went with 2004? Yeah. That's, or, that is uh, incorrect. Well, what was it? I can't tell well, you yet. You no, you've got five more to go. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, but they uh, did get easier 90, as you go. 93. All right, clue number two. This will be the, our caller first on this one. We're going back-to-back Australia clues. The Australian National Basketball League was founded in this year. The St. Kilda Saints became the first champions by defeating the Canberra Cannons 94-93 to in the final. Close one, but we need the year. First year. Okay. Um, yeah, it's Nick. 83. That's 87. Oh. Not 87, Chris. <laughs> he threw it out there with great confidence. I like the co- we like it when people are yeah, confident. He confidently oh, yeah. was wrong. All right, Chris, we're going to clue number three. You're going to be answering first. We're going to the Masters. Fuzzy Zoller defeats... Zeller. 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 Fuzzy Zeller defeats Ed Sneed and Tom Watson in the second hole of a playoff in this year, and it was the first time the Masters used a sudden death format, Chris. 76. <laughs> Um, go 89. Nick, we're struggling. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, we're going to clue number four here. I'm within about a two-year span, but I can't speak. You can't speak. Shut up, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, MLB, we're going to the MLB for clue number four. This year's World Series, the Pittsburgh Pirates won four games to three over the Baltimore Orioles. The series MVP was Willie Stargell of Pittsburgh. That's Willie Stargell. Stargell. That's Willie Stargell. You know I don't go do well with Golly. these old names. Look it- up the names, please. <laughs> yeah, we got to do a little prep once in a while. All right, so uh, whose turn is is this Chris's turn? Is this uh, Chris? Yeah, Chris. Chris, Chris, it's your turn. So it's, it's give us your wrong Pir- answer first. Pirates versus who? It was the Pirates winning four games to three over the Baltimore Orioles in this year. We are family. Seventy nine. Ah, you got it. Oh, <laughs> Nick, I'm over oh, you. Oh man, good job, Chris. You are. Yeah. Um, I, I tell you what, though. Um, I had I had 78 or 79 written down when I told you I said I think I got it figured out. Uh, the first clue I put 77. Then you gave the fuzzy Zoller clue. <laughs> <laughs> or fuzzy Zeller and, and Willie oh, Stargle. Yeah. Oh goodness. And then when you went to Willie Stargle, I thought I know that. I watched <laughs> Willie Stargle when I was growing up. All right, so uh, Nick, you know how it works. You're going to get a pizza, large pizza yep. to pizza. You just got to stay on the line. Thank you. And congratulations. It's a gift, really, you, it's, uh <laughs> Well, tell me about it. You're speaking to the choir. Um, anyway, I, uh, I, that was very, very uh, memorable for you. You'll be able to take that as a memory you'll have forever. That's right. That you were a winner in Tuesday Time That's Capsule right. Trivia. No we'll take pizza. a break. Zach Osterman is going to join us on the other side. It's a sports rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome back to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. I am Brett Rump, along with our producer, Adam Lundy, and our guest as a co-host in the studio today, Chris Lambert. Right now, we want to talk some Indiana basketball and what is happening with the Hoosiers. Uh, Of course, players getting ejected, some frustrating losses, lack of defensive focus. And to talk about it, joining us right now on the Sports Rush guest line, Zach Osterman from the Indy Star. Good afternoon, Zach. Hey, how are we doing? Doing well. Uh, let's start right away with, uh, because we talked to Don Fisher about it and asked about his quote about being embarrassed for this program. And he said it had nothing to do with the score, had nothing to do with the team as a whole. It had to do with acts that he thought were out of character for Indiana basketball. And that includes the couple of ejections. Um, I guess it... it it opens up the door to a lot of questions. First and foremost, has Mike Woodson not instilled enough discipline in this basketball team? Yeah, I mean, I think a few things. First of all, you know, it's, it, I do think these are, these, these flagrants all kind of feel like they're sort of separate incidents and, and maybe I'll be popular, maybe I won't. And, and I, I try hard not to keep, uh, I try hard not to just sort of inject my opinion anywhere I can. I felt like the one against C.J. Gunn was a little bit, I mean, Max Klesmith wipes his sweat on C.J. Gunn. I recognize you can't retaliate, but there's a difference between that and maybe, for example, what happened at Rutgers with Xavier Johnson. Um, and uh, it's kind of one of those where it's much more, I think, the classic standard, you can't be the one. It's not a punch. I'm just using this as a, as a cliché. You know, every coach will tell you, you can't be the one to retaliate because mm-hmm. the one who retaliates is nearly always the one who gets, you know, gets popped. Now, obviously, that, that didn't happen in Rutgers. But, again, 
that was kind of a different situation. That was a different action. Um, and I think that, you know, that what maybe intensified CJ Gunn's ejection, because again, I look at that situation and, and I feel like there's, you know, and I know Mike Woodson just said he didn't feel like it rose to the level of ejection. I, I'm not an expert on what separates a flagrant one from a flagrant two the way I expect a basketball official to be. I, I do feel like those situations were not quite the same, though. But when you're having the game Indiana's having, and when it's the third one in four games, and when Indiana's losing its third game in four, um, and, and not looking, you know, particularly good in doing so, all that's going to be intensified. I think, on the one hand, Mike Woodson would tell you, as Indiana's head coach, it, you know, it's his job to be responsible for everything around this program, including his players' behavior, the way they carry themselves, what they're about on the floor. On the other hand, again, I think there's maybe a difference between one of frustration, you know, a, a, a bad decision born out of frustration, and a bad decision maybe born out of something else, or, or I don't want to sign motives, I guess, to, to what Xavier Johnson did at Rutgers. But I, I think it's, I think what a lot of this reflects is just a basketball program that is, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily in discipline so much as it's struggling for answers and it can't find them. And when that happens, you know, everybody kind of tends to go their own way. Everybody kind of tends to, to start to kind of thrash against it. You know, um, it's that old, that old cliche about quicksand and, you know, one thing goes wrong and you try to correct and another thing goes wrong and you try to correct and suddenly you're, 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 you're ankle deep in it, your waist deep in it. And I think that's a little bit of where Indiana is as a whole group and it's probably being reflected in a lot of different ways. And I've said this from the beginning, Zach, that uh, sometimes adversity uh, reveals character. And I said from the beginning, I don't know if this is a group that was totally connected from the beginning. It just seemed like a, a lot of guys that are somewhat disconnected with one another, but they're being forced to play basketball together. It, your assessment, where where is this team as far as chemistry? I mean, I don't think they hate each other or anything. I think they, you know, I think they generally seem to want to fight for each other. I think they, you know, that, that there's none of the usual rumors that run around Bloomington anytime a team struggles. But in the same breath, and I think this is why Mike Woodson has continued to kind of bring up his role in this and also his seniors' role in this. You know, according to Ken Pomeroy, this is the 221st ranked team in the country in Division One experience. It's the 263rd ranked team in the country in minutes continuity. It's it's not a team that's played a lot of basketball, and it's not a team that's played a lot of basketball together. And mm -hmm. so, you know, when you talk about that connectedness and you talk about the connective tissue, I mean, I think back to – you know, the, the season that Tom Crean had Noah Vonley, Yogi Ferrell, and Will Sheehy in Bloomington. And, and, you know, if I'm being open and honest, there was probably more of an air of dysfunction around that team than there was around this team. But I think a lot of it came from the same place, which was that team was really, really young. It had a ton of freshmen and sophomores. It didn't have a lot of seniors. And it also didn't have a lot of seniors who played a lot of basketball with the guys, you know, on the classes on down with them. And so, there wasn't just that, again, that sort of natural connectedness that, that you just build over, you know, hours, days, weeks, months, years playing together. And I think that's why you hear Mike Woodson kind of keep bringing up his seniors. Is I think he's looking at it and saying that, you know, what, what needs to solve this is, is drawing on the experience that we have, drawing on the guys that, you know, that we thought we could lean into for this. And, of course, that, you know, begs different conversations about different players and what could you reasonably expect of a transfer like Anthony Walker versus, C, you know, or not, excuse me, versus Trey Galloway? 
obviously Xavier Johnson kind of becomes his own discussion over to one side. And I think it's a delicate one because if you're not, you know, even as a reporter, I will gladly admit that if you're not in the building inside the walls every single day, you're not going to understand all of the dynamics at play. But I think what you got is just the team. I don't know that they necessarily hate each other. I just think they haven't played a lot of basketball together, and it shows when they're on a big stage or in a tough moment, and they need to stay connected, and they struggle to. And I think, you know, if there was one thing that it felt like Indiana might get out of a lot of those closer-than-expected wins in November and December, it was maybe a sense of togetherness, of pulling each other through tight games, close games, tense late-game moments. Obviously, that hasn't translated, and you see where Indiana's kind of wound up. I think a lot of really good teams need two things. And one is, I don't want to say a defensive stopper, but I'll say a defensive challenger. Someone who will accept the responsibility of taking the other team's best player and trying to limit them or make things difficult on them. And the other thing is a three-point shooter that you can count on to bury a shot when you need a shot. Does Indiana have either one of those? I think, you know, to, to the second one, I, I do think McKenzie Mbaka is beginning to flirt with that. I mean, he's shooting the ball really well just from a statistical perspective, and I think he is starting to get a little bit more of that rhythm of just kind of a player, and I think you know what I mean, guys who shoot like they're in an empty gym, you know, that, that when they catch and shoot, when they catch the ball just goes up smooth, their rhythm is good, their motion is good, their teammates know how to deliver the ball so they're not pulling it down from around their knees or from over their shoulder, but it's it's going right into the pocket to go right up. I think Mbako's getting there a little bit. I think Craig Galloway has improved in that area in some respects. His home road splits, you know, kind of tell a certain story lately. But I do think that maybe they're, you know, and then I think the other one, and maybe this isn't what we think of traditionally, but I think Malik Renew is getting to a place where, you know, if, if you're up three late, let's say, let's just, Fast forward to what would be for Indiana a pretty optimistic, you know, immediate future. They're up three with 50 seconds left and 12 seconds on the shot clock. Mike Woodson calls timeout in the second half at Illinois. I think Malik Renew is the kind of player you can feed that ball to him and have a, a you know, have a reasonable level of faith. He can create a good shot for you. It's just not kind of what we're thinking about in terms of, you know, maybe creating a shot off the dribble or getting a shot on a three, some kind of, some kind of screening action. You know, to the, to the former, I mean, that's, that's probably a little more complicated, and that's probably a little bit more, again, one of these questions that feeds into, you know, how Indiana's wound up where it's wound up. And I think it's, this is a bit of a tangent, but I, I, I have found myself in this place. I said this to somebody last week. I actually think that Indiana might be closer to realizing its potential as a team than, than like, maybe the average fan would, would think it is right now. And at the same time, I'm not really convinced Indiana's ever going to get there. And I know that sounds kind of weird, but like it's, it sort of feels like instead of Indiana being one of those teams that just desperately needs to improve on or mitigate the impact of one or two big weaknesses, it's like there are seven or eight things that Indiana's not that far away from figuring out, but the problem is there's just so many different problems to solve for a young team in the space of one season, it's just not practical. And listen, you know, for, for all the um, for all the frustration in the moment, teams have these these seasons sometimes. What matters is how you pick yourself up from it. If this does ultimately kind of go 
the direction that it seems like it's going for Indiana. Because if, if a season like this is just a blip, then you're allowed to say, hey, down year, half the roster turned over, you know, had some, had some, some bad dynamics that we thought we could fix and they didn't quite work out. We thought we could, you know, get a little more shooting here, a little bit more defense there, didn't quite work out. But in the context of maybe a five, six year span, it was all good. It's, it's, you know, let's assume again, instead of the optimistic scenario, let's assume the pessimistic scenario for Indiana going forward that this team doesn't really put it together in any meaningful way down the stretch and the season ends kind of quietly. What matters is where you go from there. And, and I think that that's, you know, you, you're allowed to have a, a bad season every once in a while as long as you learn from it and build from it and it doesn't become a habit. Let's flip that scenario. You said Indiana's up three. They're going to renew to try to get a shot. Uh, let's put them down three with 12 seconds, and Mike Woodson calls the timeout. Down three, who is the play set up for? I, I think Ibaco personally. Uh, I think, it, you know, I mean, he is statistically the team's best shooter. Um, you know, one of the things that you remember when he's playing well and he's playing confidently, he's, he's a legitimate six foot eight. So contesting, you know, I'm not picking on Xavier Johnson in this instance, but contesting Xavier Johnson, who's six two, six three, and contesting McKenzie Mbako, who's six eight, are two very different things. You can be just as close to Mbako as you are to, you know, uh, Xavier Johnson or Gabe Cups or Trey Galloway and not be nearly as close to contesting the shot just because his shooting window is so much higher. I also think that, again, you are seeing some of these – sorry, I think my Roomba just kicked on. Forgive me if there's some background noise here. If it roams into the room, I'll turn it off. But um, I think there's also – you know, you are seeing some real sort of offensive confidence from him. I think the game is slowing down for him to, to torture a cliche about freshmen. I think the game is slowing down for him more at that end of the floor. And so you'd feel – you know, maybe good about if you needed to, putting him in some kind of ball screen action. We've seen Indiana do a little bit more of that lately. If it's not him, then it's probably whichever of your guards is playing best from a downhill creative capacity on any given day. Some days that's been Xavier Johnson. Some days, it's, you know, a lot more lately it's been Trey Galloway. You know, I guess in, in certain situations you probably wouldn't want to put too much on a freshman, but it could be Gabe Cups. Um, but, it's you know, it, it, to me – that starts with Mbako because I think that both his the, the tools, the skills, the size, and increasingly, I think the confidence to step into those moments. I think he's the player you would lean toward. Nice little break here, eight days between games. You would think that's a good thing for Indiana to kind of regroup, refocus, and maybe get healthy. What's uh, the status that you expect out of Khalil Ware uh, for the next one for Indiana? Mike Woodson, you know, on his radio show Monday night, Mike Woodson sounded encouraged. You know, he, he kind of didn't. I mean, Woodson is never going to be just sort of like, oh, he has five days or he has three weeks or whatever. Um, but he is, you, you, I guess, at least kind of two and a half years in now, I'd like to think that we have a decent read of kind of the language he uses and what he means when he says one thing versus another thing. I, I think that from, from where Kalel Ware was, forgive the, the odd phrasing of that sentence, Obviously not being able to play in the Wisconsin game, picking up the injury kind of midweek between games and practice. For Woodson to be on Monday saying, hey, you know, hopefully we can get him back soon. You know, it, it very much seemed like from Woodson's comments that the, the, the trend was, trend line was kind of positive. Um, it, it feels like it's possible we'll see where. And it is worth saying he was listed as questionable, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm remembering it rightly before the Wisconsin game. Now, he never came out and warmed up or anything like that, so it was, it was obviously on the 
if we're using the NFL grading scale, the doubtful side of questionable. Um, but, you know, it, it wasn't like Indiana just said, oh, this is a bad ankle sprain. He's out for two months. No chance he plays. So it does seem like there's, it, it's kind of a fluid situation. I think it possibly plays on Saturday. And more broadly, I think it's possible this is not a, a long-term thing. But the flip side is, and again, you've been around the game even longer than me. You know how tricky some of this stuff can be. There are something like seven different ligaments and tendons in your ankle, and it's the most confusing and, frankly, inefficient and, and unpractical piece of the human anatomy. <laughs> so all it takes is, like, one thing to go wrong, and suddenly you can't jump off of it or you're risking greater injury. So I don't think it's a guarantee, but I, I would say just based on his comments, Woodson sounded maybe – more on the positive side of where being back soon on Monday than, than what I might have expected. I'll tell you this, Zach. I've been around the game of basketball for a long time, and I'm still not a doctor. So I don't know. You know, <laughs> you're talking about all these ligaments. I don't know. Uh, we'll see what happens. Indiana, Illinois coming up this weekend. Zach, always appreciate it. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. That is Zach Osterman from the Indy Star covering the Indiana Hoosiers. We've got to take a time out when we come back. News about Jason Kelsey. Good news about the uh, future Hall of Famer. We'll discuss that. Uh, Chris Lambert back on the mic when we return. It is the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome back to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6, a special Tuesday edition as we continue on with Chris Lambert, who's joining us as our guest host today. And I don't know if you saw this, Chris, but uh, at the Bills-Chiefs game, Jason Kelsey, who, of course, is the brother of Travis Kelsey, future brother-in-law, many will say, of uh, Taylor Swift. But uh, Jason Kelsey won over a lot of the Buffalo fans because they were in the suite celebrating, you know, the, the Chiefs fans are all packed into this suite. He's in there with the Chiefs and uh, with the Chiefs wives and their families. Well, anyway, he uh, he noticed there was a young girl that was sitting in the stands and she was trying to hold up a sign to Taylor Swift. And it said, Taylor, I love you, had some hearts and it was a deck, you know, a little homemade poster board sign and she couldn't get it high enough because of the angle of the seats so that Taylor could actually see it. So he actually jumped out of the window, went into the seats, got this little girl. And on his way, encountered another girl who he took a picture with. But he got this girl who had the sign, took her up in front of the, the suite where all of the chief's uh, families were, were at. And he held the girl up with her sign That's just so awesome. Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. Class act. He is. Total class act. Now, I think first ballot Hall of Famer is a uh, Hall yep. of Fame set. I agree. I agree. I mean, the guy uh, has done so much for the game of football. He's done so much for the tush push. <laughs> he's the, you could say he's the center of the tush push. That's true. <laughs> now, did you see the other videos of him with uh, shirtless? Oh, and, yeah. Uh, that was the other thing. He came out of the. Uh, engaging in an adult out. beverage or yeah. two? Yeah. yeah, I'm sure. That's the only way you can go yes. shirtless. Uh, he w let's put it this way. He was enjoying the early stages of retirement. I because, saw that. Uh, he's announced that he's not going to be playing again. And so, yeah, I guess, you know, consume what you want. Enjoy your day. He's now nothing more than the brother of an NFL player. He can be a fan. He can be a uh, supporter. But, yeah, he uh, somehow those bigger guys that consume a few drinks, they're able to take their shirts off. Me, I I'm not the smallest guy, but let me tell you. 
uh, <laughs> if I don't have like five layers, I'm freezing because I'm uh, something about my blood. I, don't oh, know, yeah. I must be super thin or something because, Adam, we've talked about this before. Oh, yeah. You're like and, one of those uh, cold lizards. Well, you always have to find a hot rock to sun yeah. on. In fact, it's one of the reasons why I never get a roommate when I travel yeah. because nobody can handle the 76 to 78 degree room temperature that I like to set. Well, I think he had a, he was uh, antifreeze he was drinking too. It helped him out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> of course, uh, speaking of uh, rooming together, of course, Mastodons tried to play one over on us this yes, week. Yes, they did. Sims uh, tried to tell us that uh, that when he did, did room assignments, that uh, Lambert and I were going to end up in the same room together. He believes it was a king room. <laughs> yes, <laughs> no, that's not that's not going to happen. I uh, wouldn't do that to you, but you know, I had a room with Kaufman one time. I, really, I room with Ooh. Kaufman one time, and I, I still feel sorry for well, him. Well, you you're the only one because Kaufman's always got the uh, you know the deluxe room. And, yeah, this uh, was a different event, and uh, poor John had me as a, <laughs> as a roommate, but uh, I'm not sure he's gotten over it yet. Well, uh, maybe that's why you were heading to me because it's like uh, yeah, it's like two guys that he wants to have a miserable night. No, I'm kidding you, um, but uh, but you're a big supporter of the Mastodons. We've talked about that. And, of course, the Mastodon's in a little bit of a funk right now. Uh, losers of five straight. You know, everybody keeps asking me, what's going on with the Mastodon's? What's happened? Like, there's been this major collapse. And I said, you know what? I said, break it down. It's five individual games. They just happen to be on the schedule one after another. But you go on the road to Youngstown State. And remember, they're in a stretch where they're four out of five on the road. Correct. Winning road games is not easy. It would be very easy to lose four out of five losing on the road. Particularly Cleveland State, right? Yeah, and Cleveland State, who's now won, what, 18 straight on their home floor? But uh, everybody's asking me this question, and I say, you know what? Break it down. Individual games. Youngstown State, really good team. Uh, you know, they, they've got plenty of talent on that, that floor. They raced out to the big lead. Mastodons didn't play their best basketball. They were coming off a loss. The first loss in the conference, I think that shook them a little bit, uh, the fact that they had just lost. and But once they got their confidence back and once they got accustomed to the road atmosphere, because remember, they had played three straight games That's right. at home. Uh, and so once they got accustomed to what it's like to play on the road and kind of remembered that Oakland game that had taken place over a month earlier, they played great basketball. And they took a 27-point deficit, turned it into three, and had a chance in the last two minutes. And it was just a freak play, a little floater in the lane that Jalen Jackson makes nine out of ten times. This time it fell off the front of the iron. They got it. Half-court outlet pass, one-on-one to the basket, turned it into a three-point play. Right. Down by six with two minutes left. Dons couldn't get back over the hump. Uh, so, you know, that's a loss, and it's not a bad loss. Then you go to uh, Robert Morris. I don't like to blame the officials, but let's just say it's well documented that the Dons didn't get a lot of favorable whistles in that one. You're I right. mean, uh, they can't find you, they can't find me, but it wasn't exactly even when it came to 50-50 calls. And it, you don't want to say it cost the Dons a game because it shouldn't have been that close. You'd like to be able to still overcome it, and the Dons had a chance on the final possession. But uh, unfortunately, they didn't get the win. 
It was a very close game. It was one that slipped away. Now, I, I said, out of the five-game losing streak, the, the one bad loss you've got in there was coming back home and not being ready to play IUPUI. You're right. Just didn't show up. No, no. It just, just didn't have the energy, didn't have the bounce, played slow, uh, didn't take things away defensively. They normally take away. So, you know, they didn't play that game. That, and, and, okay, fine. But let's see how they respond to it. They came back at Cleveland State, and I thought for 29 minutes, played great basketball, 15-point lead. We were sitting there fist bumping because mm-hmm. it felt good. It oh, felt they're, really they're good. Moving, they're moving the ball like, like they do when they win. And... Uh, and they were up big, and uh, something we've not seen is the Mastodons blow a lead like that. But the way it happened was just, I mean, credit to Cleveland State. They hit some shots. I don't know what the percentages would have been on them, but the the point guard coming across midcourt, stepping through the center circle, and then stepping into a three-pointer from yeah, that, 30-some they're, feet they're, away. They're Caitlin Clark, essentially. <laughs> it and was, just hit two of them. I, yeah, they, and they had nine points like that. Yeah, hit uh, hit two of those long-distance threes. And then with the pressure and the rise in the crowd, the Dons had a two-minute lapse where they didn't handle it. They turned it over, I think, three or four times in a row. And that led to a couple of breakouts. Then the crowd got going even more. We had a, a very even game down the stretch. I mean, I know the final score was seven. The game seemed much closer than that because it could have been anybody's game. It, I think it was tied with three minutes left. And uh, Cleveland State got a bucket. And then, of course, the couple of free throws and ends up winning the game. But uh, I, this this team is not that far off of being a, a seven and two team versus being a four and five team. Exactly right. They are. I mean, the team, they're, they're playing hard. You know, they're they're working hard. They're still together. Yes. I mean, you, you see them. They, they're still playing for each other. Um, it's, it's a great group to watch. And and they'll they'll flip the switch and uh, and and a good group to be around. I mean, everybody seems to get along with everybody. It doesn't matter who sits with who on the bus. Uh, it's just that kind of group. And it could be good in the long run to get some of these Horizon League conference bumps in the road kind of out of the way earlier, so they can they still they still like it's like you said they have time to still come together, figure out some of these wins, and kind of get on a little bit of roll before going into tournament time. I mean, the whole thing is a lot of teams will go through a stretch at some point in the season where mm-hmm. they have two or three games where it's just uh, not clicking, and you got to kind of take a step back, find it again. And for the Mastodons, it's been five where it could have been. I mean, if in hindsight, you think, okay, Wright State shot lights out. They deserve to win. They came into Fort Wayne and they took one away. Mastodons didn't play their regular defense, but to Wright State's credit, they also hit 60-some percent of the shots. So uh, if they didn't hit 60-some percent of the shots, the Don's offense was good enough to win that game. Um, Well, uh, at Cleveland State, right? They were 50% from threes in the second half. the second half, yeah, Yeah. they were 50% from three. They ended up being, I think they were like 58, 59% on field goals overall in that second half. Uh, And you could say, well, you know, that that, you got a point at the Dons. They can't give them those kind of shots. If you look at the shots and the reason they shot 59%, number one, they hit those insane threes. But number two, they also forced the turnovers, which led to wide open breaks with the slam dunks and stuff. And so, you know, it's not like... They got into a half-court offense and were able to uh, orchestrate some good shots. And so I, I kind of felt like when you look back on it, that uh, Cleveland State was a 50-50 game. Uh, Dons didn't show up, didn't play the type of game they should have played against IUPUI. 
I thought uh, they got hurt by the whistle at RMU. Not an excuse, but they had two chances to win it late. One with a possession, one on defense, down by three. They gave up the three-pointer. Just uh, something that can't happen. And then uh, the other one was the Youngstown State game, where they fought back from 27 down on the road at a tough place to play. Nothing shameful in that. Uh, so, you know, to me, yeah, they've lost five straight, but this team has not fallen apart. Because first thing you think is 13-2 and team that loses five straight has completely fallen apart. No, not at all. It's, it's not. Right. It's really not. Uh, you know, they've played consistent, good teams and probably a tougher stretch of schedule than they had during the non-conference. And everybody was gunning for them. They were in first place. They, yeah, that's so true. That, this they they became the, the hunted and not the hunter. Mm-hmm. Now they're going to be back in that position of being the hunter because now they got to get hungry to go knock off a few of the teams ahead of them to see where they could position themselves for that tournament. I think the real key is that you try to get yourself into a top four spot. Uh, and it gets further and further away from you the more you keep losing. And that's why Thursday night, you'd really like to see them get a win, but it's a tough place to play again against Northern Kentucky. Yeah, well that, this whole league, if you look at it, I mean, except for Detroit, it's it's yeah. it's, it's very bad. IUPUI is capable of beating just about anybody, uh, but uh, they're more capable of losing to almost anyone. Uh, they've lost a non-D1. They've... They lost to uh, a team that's still in the transition into D1. Uh, it's just one of those games that you scratch your head and you, you think, boy, I hope that doesn't cost us a four seed and leaves us in a five because the top four teams are going to get that extra buy and get the home game to try to get down to Indy. That's important. Got to get the chopper warmed up. It is time to fly. Got to get out to the Holiday Inn, Purdue, Fort Wayne. It's the Massanon's Coaches Show. Coming up next, top of the hour, we've got men's basketball coach John Kaufman, who will join us. Talk about uh, his thoughts on some of the recent games, including that Cleveland State game over the weekend and a rematch with Northern Kentucky. Don's got uh, game number one against the Norse back at the Gate Center at the end of December. And what were the keys of that game? What is it going to take to get a road win? And what are some of the changes that he's seen in looking at recent tape of Northern Kentucky? So we'll get the breakdown on the Norse. Also, Rock Parat, men's volleyball coach, as the Don's hosting a couple of big ones this week against the number three team in the country, Hawaii. Who, uh, what is it? What have they done? Played like in three straight national championship matches. I mean, it's crazy. They are one of the best in the country, and they're going to be right here at the Gate Center a couple of times this week. We'll talk about it with Rock Perot on the Mastodon's Coaches Show. Thanks uh, to Zach Osterman for joining us. And of course, thanks to Chris Lambert for uh, helping out as today's co host. That will do it. I'm out of here for Adam Lundy. I am Brett Rump. This has been the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.